I think I can hear you. Can you? Yeah. Oh. I could hear the ambient noise. That is odd. Well, you have to start, like, obviously. Broken, but still good. <laughs> still good. So, you know, I always get to say, welcome to General Geekery, specifically. It's a podcast. I'm Lou. I'm Ben. And this is Mustache Day. Uh, so I mustache you, Ben. <laughs> How does it feel joining the Facial Hair Club? You've had a beard before, a full-on beard. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Your yeah. future's so bright. Meow, I need to answer that question with another question. As a, as, as a longtime beard wearer. Holy that, mother of God. Does that not bother you? I felt so happy to say, shave this off. I feel so <laughs> naked without it. And I feel like I feel like a child and not like, oh. not like I feel young. I've got 10 years off my life. I like, no, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm taking a psychology one-on-one class and I understand the human brain and I'm going around campus telling everybody how smart I am kind of young when I shave. I, I even, hate it. I even can't bought, do it anymore. I even bought like products. I bought like, like, uh, like not like a beard oil, but it's like a cream that's supposed to like make like the fibers like all soft and i was like oh maybe yeah. this will get rid of the itching and all that guys because yeah. people go like oh it'll itch for like the first like week or something like that and i was like i grew that thing for a month and it just it the itching never went away i just was constantly See, I don't have that problem doing this the entire time so i just <laughs> no so i shaved yeah, it into during, a mustache to, to during, look ridiculous during the, during, during the time when you're not supposed to touch your face you're just doing this all the time <laughs> I'm just in Lowe's, the one place it's open with like 5,000 people just going, ah. Yeah. And like anything that the hair catches and like holds on to, you're just like, like just licking your fingers. I've got like a whole, that's good stuff. I've got like a whole hibiscus just stuck right here. I was like, I didn't, I I didn't want to buy that. Sorry. That's, I was just looking at that. I don't know what's going on, but if you have to do like a home maintenance project right now, I do have a, a leaking tap on my house. Home Depot on your side of town has their shit together and um it is doesn't feel crowded even though there's a bunch of people there. There's a lot of space between people. Lowe's, um, both of the lows seem to be like sketchy. My side of town, I walked in, we looked around, I was like, nope, I'm out. Because <laughs> everyone was like licking each other's faces. It's just so weird. There's I mean, there's no social distancing whatsoever. I walked through uh Publix earlier today and I was walking past somebody in in the aisle. And she literally like did one of these, <laughs> like as I walked by and I was like, I'm as far away from you as I can possibly be in the aisle, but I don't know how like slightly just leaning back six to eight inches. I don't Could know I how take, that's really going to help. Well, you were at five foot eight. <laughs> there it is. I also, uh, I also didn't realize, and I didn't, I didn't mean for us to launch into this, but I'm in the pod pad, the den of debate. So argument arena, <laughs> the center of conversation. So, uh, I'm going to launch into this is I didn't realize Publix had like arrows on the aisles of like which way you're supposed to go. I've heard that some of the stores have that. I haven't seen that yet. They do. They do have that in the Publix I went to. And I didn't realize that after I'd gone apparently the wrong way oh. down one of the aisles. So but then this creates a real logistical problem for me that makes it like one of those things that maybe I don't want to even go to that store is and I understand what they're doing and I'm behind it. Don't get that wrong. But. What I'm not behind is it's like, okay, you can only go one direction down the aisle and like the girl okay. that, and like the girl that, that bent back for me, right? you can't get within six feet of people. So that means if the aisle's not six feet wide and you, you ha- all have to go one way, you can't pass people. So that means that you are subject to the slowest person in that aisle. You're behind grandma. 
and you're subject to that every aisle. So then like a wave exponentially, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> so were I to yep. adhere to the rules, if I needed something on four different aisles, I may be there for 20, 12 hours, 25 minutes. If I need something on every aisle, I die there. I die of thirst and starvation. Uh, you know, as the founders intended. I mean, I, I guess, but it won't be of COVID, I guess. So anyway. Well, there so. you go. <laughs> oh, it's sunny side. Always sunny side. Um, I've got a, I've got a fun story. Okay, go ahead. I hope it's better than my plight of trying to make it through a local Publix. Ah, man. <laughs> didn't ask me to bring a good one. Um, I never have you heard got, about the... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just saying I never got to the cantaloupe. Go ahead. Uh, have you heard any of the uh, apocryphal stories about the uh, the authorship of chess, about how it came around? Uh, I haven't, but you know what? I feel like my time in that Publix was like playing chess, and I was merely, <laughs> I was merely a pawn and willing to be sacrificed pretty quickly. So did you castle? <laughs> that's I love the castle move. I'm sorry, I suck at chess. I barely know where all the pieces go, but nothing makes you feel like more than a more of a badass than when you're like castle. <laughs> Like <laughs> I move two pieces at once. Yeah. I've been losing eight moves, Bobby Fisher, but you know what? <laughs> yeah. Castle. Boom. <laughs> Check me, bitch. That's I, not how that works. I actually start every match with reaching out my hand going, I'm offering you a draw. <laughs> <laughs> it's the closest I'll get to a win, but it seems like a power move. <laughs> well, um, chess is chess is like as old as time. And just we as don't, old as time. Do, 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 do. Then someone uh, castles, someone breaks. Okay, it, you, you know what I was ma- saying. Yep, smash cut to our DMCA takedown from Disney. And <laughs> um, there's a lot of stories about the invention of chess. Right, go ahead. Right. Um, hard to pin down what's actually going on, but uh, one, of the, one of the variants of the story says uh, the, emperor, the inventor of the chess shows it to, at the time, the emperor of India. And the emperor is really impressed. He loves chess. He's like, this is great. Um, what, can, what can I give you? You can have anything you want. Just ask. You know, unless it's unreasonable, then I won't give it to you. So the, uh, the inventor says, okay, cool. Um, I want rice. I want one grain of rice for the first square, two grains of rice for the second square, then double it, four grains of rice for the third square, eight for the fourth square, and so on. Right? So you get through the first three squares, it's like 256 grains of rice. Um, not a lot of rice. That's not even a meal right there, even on the first row. The emperor says, yeah, sure, no problem. You got it. All yours. Uh, senses uh, bean counters. No, what do you call a count? I guess rice counters because he's counting rice. Senses accountant off to go figure it out. A few days later, the accountant comes back. says, hey, you know, you sent me uh, to put this rice together for this chess thing. He says, yeah. Says, well, it would take more rice than we could grow in 100 years to fill this request we can't do it. Like not, it not only would just bankrupt us, like it's physically impossible. And the King, you know, doesn't want to renege on a, on a deal, you know, brings the inventor in, uh, has him killed. So that way he doesn't have to go back on his deal. Cause now there's no one to pay the rice to. <laughs> um, so this is something about greed. No, um, <laughs> exponential growth is tricky. It's scary. And it's hard to wrap, wrap your mind around. Like, Right. When we talk about something about gross, it, ex- like, exponential, and you're like, oh, yeah, parabola. Like, I remember that. Like, I've seen that on a board and stuff. But it's hard to actually wrap your mind around the actual quantity of these things. Like, I think, and yeah. I'm not le- going to lean too hard into this, but 
when we think about how much money someone has, you know, the idea of someone has a million dollars or a billion dollars or a trillion dollars seems like step, step, step in most people's minds. But it's but it's not. It's step, right. step, unimaginable step. Yeah. And, you know, again, that, that, for that eighth square is uh, ends up being uh, to the seventh shift start to the zero. So basically you end up with um, 256 grains of rice in the first row. Um, I'm probably off by one somewhere when I throw all these numbers out today. No, no, no. Or, listen, or listen I need but, yeah. you to get these exactly right. All right. Our listeners don't need to think maybe it was a five or maybe a four. We need specificity. From alpha to the eighth minus one. <laughs> I say that now. I read your notes on this, and I was like, "There's too many numbers." Like, there's a point well, at which reading the, there's I'm a point to... at which reading numbers of someone who studied math, and I know you're like, "I don't do calcuta- calculations," but I did learn math. I I I, I did study math uh, in higher education, and I looked at the number of numbers there, and there's a part of me that's like, "Yeah, we'll take a second and read all of them," and then there's another part of me that goes, "You know what? No." That many numbers, and maybe this is a downfall of most people watching the news. I, I see that many numbers, and I go, well, obviously, he knows what he's talking about. Look at all those numbers. That's a shit ton of numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's where I'm at. Is I, um, I Especially did all that if work you out. use like the exponent. If you use like an E, E to an nth, like, oh, no, 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 no. No, he obviously yeah. is an expert. Yeah. I, I went through the whole thing just to prove to myself that I had everything right. And I was like, okay, cool. I could probably summarize these in notes. Nah, that's fine. I'll just look, I'll, I'll, I'll know what I need. No. So, um, but it's 255 grains of rice for the first row of the board. There's eight rows. 255 grains of rice is not even one meal. Like, it's it's not. Um. So, how fast could it grow? It goes from not even a meal in the first row. You only have seven more rows. To, um, we couldn't do this in a hundred years, right? Because exponents are tricky, tricky little sons of guns. It turns out. That it's let's see here. <sighs> um, the total number of grains of rice is eighteen. Uh, is one eight four four six seven four four zero seven three seven zero nine five five one. I'm not done yet. Six one five. Got this from Wolfram Alpha. That's eighteen quintillion four hundred forty six quadrillion seven hundred forty four trillion. 73 billion. Now we're kind of under a Bezos of rice. 709,551,615. I like that a Bezos is a watermark. And also you might as well just say Googleplex. There is a Googleplex of rice. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's mind blowing. Cause there's only 64 squares on the board. Um, I pulled, I pulled some numbers, um, just from, you know, internet searches. Um, Ricepedia apparently exists. Oh, you didn't know about that already? I go to white ricepedia, but you know, there's also a brown ricepedia. Um, there's so, a jasmine ricepedia. Listen, there's all sorts of things. I'd stay away from the red red beans and rice. Pedia, mm. go ahead. The um, the ricepedia says today, now not in you know ancient imperial India. Today, globally. Globally, we produce 700 million raw tons of rice. That works out to like 460 tons of what you buy in bags and stuff at the store. But um, if we're looking at raw tons, because we're talking 
maybe a doubling. We're talking one square on the chessboard up or down. When you're talking a doubling, it's one square on a chessboard. We're talking 63 or 65 square chessboard. I'm not going to worry about doing that conversion to 460. It just doesn't make any sense at this point. It doesn't make a big difference. Um, sorry, is nine quintillion better? Would it be 36 quintillion? Like, it, it doesn't matter. I did those right. numbers. Right. Um, so one ton is roughly 36,000, 36,590,000 grains of rice, right? Jeez. Roughly. Right. Um, if you, if you do that, uh, if you do that math and figure that out, you need 504 billion, 147 million, 146,042 tons to fulfill the obligation of chess with 32,771,615 grains left over. Almost right. another ton. So I'm not going to ask you to do this on the fly, but I'm just trying to put this into practical scale. So like, for instance, like when I did, and, and this is like, how did you know? So how do you know somebody's a triathlete? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Is how you know right. somebody does CrossFit, CrossFit, don't worry, they'll tell you. Is when people used to ask me like, like, oh, you did like a full Ironman. How far is that? And for us here in Athens, I'm like, oh, well, that's like I swam to that road a couple of miles down the road. And then I rode my bike to Atlanta and back. And then I started a marathon. Um, <laughs> it, and I say that to say this is to try and put that in practical terms. That sounds like and I'm not going to ask you to do the math immediately right here, but just give me in the ballpark. That sounds like a Grand Canyon of rice. Yeah, I, that that um, sounds like, and actually, it's, let me put a scale. That sounds somewhere between a Grand Canyon of rice and a small moon of rice. That's no moon. Like that's yeah. that's where that that ridiculous volume seems to be. Well, and that's the problem is, I throw all these numbers out just to kind of overwhelm and baffle, uh, because there is no, there's no scale that we can make this practical or we could really understand this. Like, it's just not possible because it's so massive. I started looking at universal or galactic scales, like how many number of atoms, how many number of stars. It's less than that. It's not a moon <laughs> of rice. So it is less than that. But um, if you were to produce all the rice you needed for to fulfill this chess uh, obligation, with today's production globally, there would be 654 years it would take you at today's production level okay for something that wouldn't make one meal on one row the other seven rows get you to a point where it takes 654 years of today's rice uh, production wolfram alpha says that 66.4 tons for every man woman and child on the planet at a 2018 <laughs> population estimate now I think okay it's closer cool. to moon than grand canyon what is what is 66.4 tons like what does that even mean right like one pound of uncooked rice is about 1600 calories. If a random Reddit thread is to be believed, let's go with it. <laughs> I mean, that we're means... this far in now. I mean, we're not going to question like the fourth level of, uh, of, of information at this point. Let's just extrapolate out and just assume within some sort of order of magnitude of being correct. Right. Um, 1600 uh, calories, 2000 pounds to a ton, 66.4 tons for every man, woman, and child. Right. Right. Is 212,480,000 calories. What is that? What does that mean? Assume 2,000 calories a day. That's it means, 106, it, well, on, and, it, it means I can swim to the road down the road. It means I can yeah. ride my bike to Atlanta and back. And then I can run a marathon. If the, if the inventor of chess got his rice <laughs> or her rice, I don't know. If the inventor of chess got their rice, their rice, 
And they time travel to today, well, 2018 population estimates from Wolfram Alpha. That person could give every man, woman, and child on this planet, foregoing themselves, I guess, uh, (laughs) 291.1 years of food for rice. Three times, like, your best estimate of life. Right, right? but how much pink sauce could they provide? That's the question. I see, and that is that is where the genie got him. <laughs> it's like, see, that's it, what it, happened. Like in, that's what that's what I happened. I have time now, and he breaks his glasses. It's like I have rice now. Where's my pink sauce? <laughs> see, it's just like bedazzled. Like I say, as I start most sentences, it's just like bedazzled. <laughs> yep. So, and I say that to say, just exponents are fast, and they get out of hand quickly. And it's it's a matter of just a few squares on the chessboard you reach a tipping point where it is literally a question of one or two squares in the chessboard before you go from, Oh, cool. I have a bag of rice I could eat for a few days and I'm drowning in rice. I'm about to be crushed by rice. It happens very quickly. And when you hit that tipping point, it's, it's too late already. You can't wait for it to get bad. Right. You know what this sounds like, and this is not to be like, like depressing, but, uh, but someone saying something like that ends up being like, Oh, let me say something depressing. Is (laughs) is <laughs> um like what that sounds like is saying okay yes and yeah. is saying like here's like I just want a grain of rice for that square okay it doesn't seem that bad but it's gonna get bigger but let's just focus on that part that's kind of like a variable rate mortgage like how yeah. we got into a lot of these problems with houses where people are like we're gonna give you a mortgage it's gonna be like point zero zero one percent in this first square I mean year and then it's like okay well what happens later years well it could go up it might not. <laughs> It's not going to be that bad. And then it's like, oh, you have a 25% mortgage. Like, yeah. oh, we're in the 30th square and you, you have a Volvo worth of rice you need. But even that would be with exponentiation from two would be like two, four, eight, 16, already 16, you're there at 32, you've dwarfed it. So we're talking just a few squares, right? Right. Like, because it, it, it just catches up so quickly. Um, and w- if it's tripling, right, which is true. My example is l- variable yeah. yet linear. You are right. It yeah. does scale so rapidly. And with tripling, it grows even faster. So that's just powers of two. So at powers of three, um, all it would take is 41 squares to dwarf the chessboard request 64 squares. And it's roughly double at 36 quintillion, give or take a few. I'm not doing the rest. It, it moves very quickly and you hit your tipping points. Once you hit your tipping point, it's too late. It's it's just that they're weird, weird numbers, man. It's, exponents are beautiful, but scary. So what happens when you fork their rook? <sighs> <laughs> you see, because there's rice and there's forks. Yes. You know what? I shouldn't have to explain yeah. it. It was a bad joke to begin with. I apologize to everybody. I, bl- I blame me completely. <laughs> you you caught me. You caught me speechless. So. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to top your sad story with another sad story. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> That's your punishment. And well, and welcome to Sad Stories. My name's Ben. And my name is Lou. And <laughs> oh, oh god. All right, go ahead. <laughs> this is something I I didn't know until the other day when I was watching Picard. Oh, uh, how is it? It's really good. It's I really saw good. I, I was, saw that they're doing this is not a plug. This is not brought to you by. But I saw that they were doing like a month free of the CBS All Access. 
And I was really excited to see it because I also want to see Discovery. I haven't seen any Discovery. I haven't seen any Picard. And you would think, oh, you know, he he proclaims to be a Star Trek fan, but I I just didn't want to pay for another subscription service. I was like, yeah, eventually I'll just put it on my Plex server or something like that. But given the month free, I'm like, you know what, though, if Picard is that good, I might buy into it. But then I also don't want to buy into this like, but now you have to pay for CBS All Access and then you have to pay for Peacock, the NBC All Access. And then, you know, and we already have the ABC stuff because that's Disney All Access. <clears throat> but that's a little different with Disney All Access. That, Going yeah. with traditional, you know, companies like NBC and, and CBS and saying, like, we want you to pay the same amount of money that you would pay for, like, <clears throat> excuse me, that you would pay for, like, Fox. Or, I'm sorry, that you would pay for, like, HBO to pay for, like, Fox and CBS and NBC. I just don't think I can shell out that kind of money for that. But that said, <clears throat> there's no more compelling entertainment out there than... Uh, wanting to see Picard, wanting mm-hmm. to see Discovery, wanting to see uh, Jordan Peele's uh, Twilight Zone. There's those yeah. three things are right at the top of my list of like, I don't want to pay for anything else, but I really <laughs> want to see these three things. Yeah, um, Picard's good. I was I was disappointed at first because I thought it was gonna be really. Like, I thought it was gonna be the Picard's adventure on a winery. You just <laughs> wanted to see Picard like his it, like like he's like well I'm trying to sell the, these wines but. You know, uh, uh, what year is it set? Crap, I should know this. What year is Picard set? Oh, I don't, I honestly don't know. Like, let's pretend it's like 3424. Like, I don't even know what it's. 3500, wouldn't it? It's 3500, something, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, so let's pretend it's it's 3550. And it's like, oh man, 3550 was not really the crop I was hoping for. 3549 was a great Pinot. You know, right. that, that moved really well. Like, I like that you that you wanted to see him walk around with, like, maybe a dog and they go home at night and then they go to play chess and they bet rice. Um. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and then he tells the story of with dramatic effect and great pull of how exponents work. <laughs> and you're like, man, I just do a podcast about it. those guys sucked. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's you know, uh, they do they do make a they do make a wine vintage joke at the one point, but I thought it was going to be like him hunting down, you know, I see the pill bugs have gotten my wine. I don't know why that was like a badass, like a bad, awful Connery instead of a Picard. A little bit Connery on that. Yeah. I don't have a Picard, but uh, welcome to the vine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There I'll do, I'll do a worse Connery. So your Connery doesn't sound so bad. If the rock, if the rock took place on a vineyard, like all of a sudden, but anyway, yeah, I wanted Mike, to like Michael Bay just throws cameras under vines and just, just bounces around. That's, yeah, I wanted to walk around drinking his Earl Grey tea hot, looking for pill bugs and trying to like protect his plants. No, it's it's another, you know, um, it, it becomes uh, in certain parts like a high octane um, Star Trek like you're used to, um, but very enjoyable. Like I kind of like I was like, yes. Picard Winery Adventures. Maybe he'll be like a little hometown detective. It's like, you know, um, Nancy Drew or something like that. Boxcar children kind of thing. No. Oh, okay. I mean, he's putting together, he's putting together a crew. Oh no. Okay. Actually, this is really good. So um, I won't say more than that, but it was like a little get through the first three episodes because if you get disappointed as to where it's going, you will like, you'll like it. Or you'll say, no, you know what? This is way better than what Lou is an idiot. This is way better. So um, I've only seen the the previews. So feel free to either say yes, no, or not going to answer. Okay. 
So obviously he gets pulled from his retirement. He's no longer in the vineyards. Does he get to captain a ship? Again, you can say yes, no, or I'm not going to answer. Does he become I, the captain of a ship? I'm not far enough in it um, to be able to answer that. Unclear. Okay. Um, okay. I think you. I think. I think you need to watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but I'll pull. I'll pull the big punch for you now. Okay, go ahead. This is not a spoiler. I already know Jonathan Frakes is in it, so or at least in an episode, and Brent Spiner. Yes. Um. So Brent Spiner's definitely in it, reprising his role as Data. Which um, he has some time since he's done Independence Day Resurgence, because I'm sure he probably lost money on that. So he <laughs> needs to make up the fact. I watched that god awful movie, and I when you told me, <clears throat> when you told me you were like, don't waste your time with that. And you're like, if you do, just make sure you're like, well, well into your bev. There's not enough beverages on the planet. It, the setup was fine. And I'm sorry to be tangential, but I'm in your chair. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be tangential. Yeah. Is, is Independence Day Resurgence setup was great. Like I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. Like it's kind of odd the way they kind of wrote out Will Smith with just like one line to be like, hey, you remember your dad died? That's what we named this hangar after. Anyway, you're all going to go fight. Um, but. Brent Spiner is so integral to the entire story, which I thought was like, oh, this is going to be great. And he's going to be such a big part of it. And, right. you know, Jeff Goldblum, how can you go wrong with Jeff Goldblum? They, Jeff Goldblum it, explains the world is great also. Oh, also incredible. I've got, I've got to finish all those. But the movie, after the setup, just immediately nosedives into like worse than a sci-fi B movie. <laughs> like at least sci-fi movies, Sifi, sorry. At least Sifi movies, they know that they're like, obviously no one's taking this serious. We don't have to actually work on transitions and co coherency and making sure everything works. They just jump to the next thing and they're like, why'd you do that? I don't know. It's funny. Smash cut. And yeah. so they go to the next thing. Oh, resurgence is bad. Mama's, ang Mama's angry. And it's like, and Katie walked in at the very end of the movie and I was like, oh, well, that's, well, that's the mom of all the other. She goes. You didn't have to tell me that. Like, I can look at this and go, that's exactly what that is. It's dumb as shit. Smash cut to the next thing. Why? Because we can't get our way out of this plot hole. Um, <laughs> so anyway, that yeah. aside. So data, data um, is, data is, um, shows up in Picard. So the, I was, I was thinking about it and I was like, wait a minute. What was what was the name of his inventor? Um, oh, um, soon. Soon, I was. I, it always yep. makes me think of River Song. It makes me go back to like yep. uh, uh, Doctor Who. So nice. Cool. Um, but it's it, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. I was just gonna say yeah. it's weird that my mind put those things together, but I never like am able to find either one. Does that make sense? Like it just confuses me further. Like that's the way my mind works. It's like right. I made the connection between the both of them, but I. Never the two, like, never the two shall meet. And I like, I just, uh, my mind right. just goes, right. They, you both just sound, they both sound kind of similar, but I'll never remember either one of them. Anyway, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I know it looked like, yourself. I know it looked like I was stroking out, but that's kind of how my mind works. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's a war trek. Get... <laughs> Wait, these aren't the same thing. Oh crap. Um, so, uh, his, his inventor is Noonien Soong. He's a brilliant inventor. That's how you got the positronic brain. Like it had to be him. Um, you also had Khan Noonien Singh from okay. the original series and then the reboot. Yes. 
Khan. Khan. Right. Khan. Yeah. Um, the Khan. Who is also one of the most brilliant minds in the universe, genetically engineered for that. Also a great combat, you know, might, poet. Be, might be one of my favorite anti-heroes because he was, I mean, yes, he was the antithesis in, in two, but in wrath, but you kind of liked him. Yeah. Like he just kind of had like, you get why people follow him. Like he just seems like he's the smartest guy in the room at any time. Right. Montego. Not- Montego. I was trying to think Montego. of his name. Montego. <laughs> That's uh, right, it was Montalban or something like that. Oh no, Ricardo Montalban. Ricardo Montalban. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you're thinking Nico Montoya. I am. Yeah. Which one had which one had six figures on one hand? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, they, but it's, it's no coincidence that their names are similar, um, and that the, the they're soons. both brilliant. To, to, the, for, for, for clarification, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Nunian Sung and Khan uh, Nunian Singh. Right. Um, no, no coincidence. Their names are similar. No coincidence that they're both really good at what they do, and that they're, you know, oh, they're so inspirational. You could totally follow Khan. Like you get it. Like they're, it was intentional. He wanted to make these bigger than life characters, because, um, apparently, when Gene Roddenberry was in World War II, and, um, he uh, he met uh, he met a Chinese pilot who uh, we were working with at the time, uh, befriended him. And then after the war, you know, it was pre-internet, um, and then you had the, um, uh, you had communism rise in China. Post wasn't really getting through to each other. Like he had no way to keep in touch with, so he lost fr- uh, contact with his friend. His friend's name is Kim Noonien Singh. So he put that name um, in Star Trek uh, Two, the movie, and the, the Wrath of and and the show, yeah, and the yeah. show, the episode he was in. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he put that. That's he, right. He did, same actor, all, same character. All that was recurring. Yeah, yeah. It was it was all written as some completely different name, and Rob Berry came in and said, "No, this is the name it's going to be because this is the big character." Because he want he was hoping that it would get shown somewhere in China, and his friend would see it and see Gene Roddenberry's name and contact Star Trek because he figured his friend never knew he worked on Star Trek, right? Right. Um, all he wanted to do was get back in touch with his friend, and then he redid it with Nooney and Soong in um, in Next Generation. And apparently he like he never made contact with his friend again and before that, he died. That is heartbreaking. Think about how deep that tie is. Right. That you're like, like, I really want to reach out to this person. And look at the benefit of what we have of living in the time that we do. Is that we can get on social media and like find people, you know, that like, you know, I'm adopted and I was able to go reach through the internet and actually find, you know, who my, you know, biological family are and, and things like that. This guy made a cornerstone of pop culture that we still talk about, not just talk about. I'm willing to possibly still spend $9.99 on CBS All Access right? to see the, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of the things that he built. And then that far down the line, he would probably, I'm not going to speak for him, because obviously he's not here and I don't know Gene Roddenberry. But it sounds like he would have given at least a large portion of that just to have contacted and had. First contact, no pun. I know we were all waiting <laughs> yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, with with his old friend, like he would have given up so much of this just to reconnect with his old friend. That yeah. is incredible. And someone who, at the time, especially when the original series was out, had a massive show. He had one of the biggest reaches of anybody in the world at that time. You know, I'm not saying he was really rich or anything at that point. I don't know how much I got him. Probably not that much. 
but he had the ability to get a message out very, very far. Um, as you were saying, this is pre-internet, right? You know, he can't just like troll around on Facebook. Um, it's just uh, the lengths he went to. Something I thought was always interesting about Gene Roddenberry, because I was obviously, my dad was a big uh, TOS fan. I was a big TNG fan. Um, and he and I really bonded over TNG. Something I always found was really interesting. And I asked him, I was like, very early on, I was like, why do all the aliens look like us? Like all the aliens, like all right. look like humans. What are the odds of aliens looking like humans? And, uh, and something he repeated that was of Gene Roddenberry. He goes, well, Gene Roddenberry said, I want all the life forms to look human so that you can relate to them. If you see something that doesn't look human, uh, and not that they were pitted against Star Wars, but there's always the comparison because these are the, the two big space drama things that are going on, at least in, in, in movies and television, is it's like, well, if you see something that doesn't look anything like you, like you can't emotionally connect to a Sarlacc. You know, like yeah. it, it's, it's difficult to make that connection. But if you shorten that bridge of just going, yeah, they're Klingon, but they look like us. Yes, they're Romulans, but they look like us. It, to a certain extent, it's like, well, but shouldn't we make aliens look vastly different than us? It's like, no, but if we want to be able to empathize, you need to kind of make them look like humans. So yeah, I always the, thought the Watcher that, is really the weak link. What's that? The Watcher is really the weak link. Right. So it's a very humanistic approach to go, even those that are most different than us are more similar than they are different. And what he's trying to connect, make there are connections between yeah. us and, and other races and ultimately kind of sad and tragic him and this other person that is alien to him of being of another country and wanting to make that connection of, yeah, this person comes from another country, but we can be best friends with Klingons. And yeah. he was reaching out to his Klingon friend, for lack of a better term, and never was able to make that connection that he wanted to make. And I look at it, look at A New Hope. When you start off, battle scene, it's droids. One of two is human looking. And humans on both sides. You got a guy in a dark mask, but humanoid. Um, but it's humans, humans, humans. You land on a planet, find a bunch of humans. Then what, Jawas? They're kind of humanoid, but they're short. They have no faces. And like I, I remember thinking, oh, you know, they're just, they're just, they're just scavengers. They're, they're, they're savage. Right. 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 They're not aboriginal savages. Savages. Yeah. Yeah. They're what you see in the Jungle Cruise. Like they're just yeah, yeah. They're 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 not humanistic at all. Right. Exactly. And it's it it, they you just get that they go right in that box right away because they have no faces. They're too short and they're just they're trying to rip off. They're trying to rip off poor Uncle Owen who really was kind of a jerk. But but they're trying to rip they're trying to rip him off and you side with Uncle Owen, right? Um. Then, you know, we go on, um, we have, we have sand people and it almost sounds like that's a slur and they're just out there. They're savages. <laughs> um, is that, what was it? What was it? We said in the other podcast, it was like a tube rider or something like that. Yeah. Like <laughs> a tuber. Yeah. yeah. We called people that rode subways tubers. Yeah. Tubers. That's yeah. sand, sand people sounds like calling somebody a tuber. It's like, oh, well he used to be a tuber, but now he's a sand person. Oh, he moved out West. Oh yeah. 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 Totally moved out right. West. And I don't think strap hangers any better, but you know, it's like, <laughs> All, they all sound, they, it all, and it all sounds and seems dirty. And then you go into you go into town. Um, you go to the most uh, the most wretched sky, uh, um, most wretched hive of scum and villainy. Exactly. And it's I was, a bunch I was of waiting for it. I I wanted to jump in earlier, but I yeah. wanted to let you have that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bunch of aliens. 
once again, it's right. an awful place because it's filled with aliens. So I, that's Listen, a really great I, point. I was waiting to tell you this, but um, I don't like you either. <laughs> you know that's my I'm sorry. That's, you know that's my like, maybe my favorite line in all of Star Wars, and just because it's it's almost comedic. It's so early on in all of the Star Wars stuff. It's 1977. We're still setting the scenes. We haven't even seen Han Solo yet. And just yet having the, the exchange where somebody walks up and goes, he didn't like you. Okay. I don't like you either. Like, it's so almost unintentionally uh, yeah. comedic that it's something that's said in our house almost all the time. It's like someone's like, I don't like this. And it's like, it doesn't like you either. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, get it in your feed because we're wanted men and you want more of this. Exactly. Listen, we always shoot first. But um, speaking, speaking of media. Go ahead. You've been watching a new show. Uh, yeah, I have been watching. Uh, well, a, a not new show, but yeah, I've been watching a show. So I've new been to you. new to me. So anybody that knows me knows this is that I have a huge man crush on Donald Glover, uh, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, a.k.a the man I want to meet and possibly cuddle with. I mean, I love everything that he has done. Um, apparently he started as a writer on 30 rock and then moved into, uh, the Joel McHale vehicle community. And then, you know, a number of other things, <clears throat> rap career, everything else. I had never seen community. And that was kind of what I guess really, and uh, the show Atlanta is incredible. Let me not brush past that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I felt like I needed to go back and watch Community. So we recently just went back with our, our downtime, our quarantine time, uh, watching Community, and we started right off the bat. I remember it being like pretty cleverly written and things like that, and I really had, didn't have a chance to watch a lot of them. Show's really, really good. Um, and I have some other shows that people are watching in quarantine that I need to mention to you, because I also have a friend that's watching every Simpsons episode. So <laughs> let us not get down that track, but we will come back to that at, a, at another time. Yeah, he burned through the first five in like the first day. So <laughs> uh, shout out to New. So anyway, um, Community is an incredible show, at least from what I've seen for the first few seasons or for first few episodes. But what jumped out at me and what I was mentioning to you earlier about was one of the first episodes they have is as everybody's kind of learning to be a community together, they had to participate in a psychology experiment. And so the experiment was, the as with a lot of college experiments, what you think is the experiment is not the experiment. What you're told is the experiment is not the experiment. They were told like, hey, come to this thing and the experiment will start in like five minutes. Right. And somebody comes in and they go, hey, the experiment's going to start in like five minutes. And then they leave. And then like half an hour later, they walk back in and they go, hey, the experiment's going to, sorry, everything's late. We're going to start in like five minutes. And then they just wait to see what social, social dynamics and degradations come of that. So as I was watching, the reason I brought it up to you is I was like, I've been in that experiment. I actually did that at UGA, but the one that we did was me and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, but girlfriend at the time, we signed up for an experiment, and it's one of those things where they're like, we're going to give you 60 bucks, uh -huh. show up to this experiment. So we showed up, and it was like supposed to start at like three, and we show up like outside of a room, and there's some chairs to sit and wait, and it's us and like three other couples, and we're all sitting there talking, everything else, and then a person comes by and they go, oh, hey, I'm going to run the experiment, but we don't have the key to unlock the door. I got to go like find the key to unlock the door. And then they go for like 30 minutes and then they come back and they're like, uh, yeah, the professor has the key, but uh, I have to wait on the professor to get it. So they said they can be here within like an hour. Or so if you guys can just hang out and then they leave. And obviously there's windows around us that it's like after a while, you're kind of like, I wonder if they're watching us through these windows. 
But anyway, right. you sit there and you talk. And what's interesting was you got paid because you have to be a couple and you have to be a couple of over, I think it was over a year. Okay. But this is in college. This is undergrads in college. Right. How many people are really with somebody that long in college? Yeah. But if you dangle $60 a person, you're like, hey, listen, you get 60 bucks. I get 60 bucks. We go do this thing afterwards. Let's go out, like have a nice dinner, buy Bev's. Like we're going to have a great time. That, that would have ended my relationship because <laughs> I would have stayed there for 60 bucks. I could feed myself for a week in college. I would have stayed there like days until I got my check, then give them five more minutes. Well, so we were there. I think it was going on about an hour and a half after it was supposed to start when people start going, hey, I don't know if we're really going to stay for that. And the whole time we're sitting there talking, like all the other couples, almost within like the first 10 minutes, we're like, yeah, no, 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 we're like not even a couple at all. Like we're just doing this for the money. <laughs> or they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we like hooked up like like two days ago, but like whatever, I'm going to do this for the money. And so Kay, Katie and I were the only ones that were like, <laughs> we've been dating since high school. So like we actually sit here and wait. And then they keep coming back. And after two hours, all the other couples just leave. They're all just like, peace out. We're not going to do this. And so they just peace out. And they're like, I, it's not worth the money. I'm not sitting here. I'm not doing this. And so then they come back and they go, where'd everybody else go? And they're like, oh, they left. And they're like, oh, good. Well, that was the experiment. So here's your money. And so they hand us the money. And we just, and we're like, that was the experiment. And they go, just yeah, win. And yeah, and we just, we won. <laughs> we it's, won like get a new car. it's like get a new car by <laughs> holding your hand on the car. It's exactly what that's like. And we left, but then I realized as I like studied psychology, Tell them you want everybody else's money too. Right. But, oh, right. They said they'd be back. They said, give me their money and I'll, I'll give it to them. I'll make sure they get that. Yeah. Um, I got their Venmo, but no, we did. Um, cause I studied psychology for a little while at UGA. I was minoring in it. And so I participated in some of those studies and that's most of the studies are just effing with people. Like, <laughs> like one of the studies that we did, and I think you're familiar with this is in the psychology building. There are these rooms that it's a room, but the room is smaller than the room. I know that's weird to describe. <sighs> You open the door and you step up into a room, but the ceiling is low and you step up into it and it's just plastic walls around you and like a desk with like a dying plant and like a a cabinet. And they're like, sit here and answer this questionnaire. And the questionnaire is like, do you feel stressed? How do you feel under pressure? Do you get nervous when people watch you? How do you you feel right now? And so then I got to actually participate in like giving those tests. And I was like, this is kind of mean. And they're like, yeah, you should have seen the, seen the shit they did in the sixties. Like right. actually like before some, IRB came around, some of the tests were like pretending to give shocks to people. That was the real Milgram famous experiment. one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Milgram, yeah. So some of the tests were like pretending to give shocks to people. And they're like, so you pretend they're like, well, yeah, we used to do the real thing. <laughs> we used to shock the shit out of people. But then they're like, ah, maybe we just pretend and tell them we did. It's nuts. And it's it's just so those those rooms were so so creepy. I They're like little prison things. cells. Like it's just all you need to do is orient it so that the interviewer is sitting between you and the door to just make it like the perfect polygraph room. Like it, it is, they're so bad. I hated those rooms. So anyway, we got 120 bucks and bought some sushi. So I'm nice. feeling pretty good about that. <laughs> all right, um, 120 now, bucks. That would uh, that oh. would that would get you. Actually, you don't need 120 bucks for oil. I was about to say, listen, you're so good at this. I was literally about to say 120 bucks filled up our gas tank and got us dinner that night. So speaking of filling up gas tanks with petrol, uh, (laughs) I believe you have our next subject. It's bad. It's bad when both of us are racing for the transition. (laughs) Who can segue faster? We're like, oh, man, we got I got to eat dinner. I got got things to do. (laughs) My drink's getting low. Um, 
No, I stole the segue from you because I also have the timer in front of me, so I'm looking at it. Oh, well, nice. Man, I got to cut this. You do. It's a little different from the other side, isn't it? <laughs> Shit, I got to take all this stuff that he's saying and cut it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, I, we, were, we were trading a few texts on this. Uh, oil went below, went below zero. Went below zero. I didn't know that was possible. Well, it is, but it's not all that it sounds like. And I didn't take a lot of notes on this because there were a lot of different uh, conflicting articles and I fell down several rabbit holes and I said, I just need to back away. But uh, the first thing I learned, oil goes below zero. No, that doesn't mean uh, you're going to you know, get paid at, at the pump. Like the gas station, shell station is not going to charge you a negative amount, uh, like credit your card, I guess, because that was for raw oil. And it wasn't just, this is the price on very specific thing. Right. Cause there are different oils all over the globe. Now I don't know if it's even possible to say, um, invest or arbitrage into like Saudi Aramco oil. Cause it's all Royal family owned. They own the entire infrastructure. Uh, much of the Western oil is a bit different. If you have an oil, if you have, um, oil production, then you have to send it somewhere. Right. Then it stays in the tank farm. Right. That tank farm usually goes to a refinery. However, there are also private tank farms that if you are an oil buyer, you can buy oil, hold it in a tank farm and sell it to the refinery. Right. And the tank farm, literally their job is owning tanks and selling that service to you. Right. And they hook up to the pipes. Because... And that's, and as I understand it, that's what we ran out of. Because what, right. what, I, what I was reading was like worldwide oil didn't go to zero. Right. U.S. production outpaced where we can put it. And, and it was one oil field or one range of oil fields. It wasn't even the whole U.S. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, so all I know is that we outpaced where we can put it. And so it gets right. to a point where I think $4 and some odd, like four ninety seven or something like I know it was for something. Uh, negative for something was the price where it was the oil producers would have to pay $4 and some odd cents for other people to take it off their hands. Otherwise, they just wouldn't have a place to put the their oil. So it was negative for something, but it was only U.S. is what I understand that to be. Um, yeah, it, and it's just it's just the one contract. It it it, it when right. it went low, it went down to negative thirty seven dollars, thirty seven. Oh, it went that far. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Once, once it went negative, it went nuts because, um, it also there's lots of oil, so it's the price of that contract, and it wasn't just the price of oil from that region. What it was is that this week, Tuesday, we're Sunday now. So what was that? The 21st or whatever? Um, Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 20th, 21st, whatever it was. doesn't matter. 22nd. Um, that's the day the contract ends. Now that was a contract for May delivery. If you hold this contract, if you buy the contract, then, um, the contract closes or the market for that contract closes in April. Whoever's holding the contract has to take delivery in May for that oil. They have to arrange for that. Um, so that doesn't mean that's not the spot price of oil. It's not what oil costs today. It's not, if you want to go buy, like you walk up with your, you know, uh, two gallon gas tank and like, Hey, can you fill this with oil? That's not the price you're going to get. So, um, also that means if you're investing in like, oil derivatives, exchange traded funds on the stock market, things like that. No, 
you were not getting paid for oil. Like it just wasn't happening. It's only if you had that contract for delivery of oil in May that closed then. Apparently this is popular with um, anyone who's a big consumer of petroleum products, whether or not it's actual oil. Uh, airlines will often apparently hedge their prices for fuel by buying these contracts. So the idea is that if they buy a contract for delivery of oil to a refinery or whatever product it is in May, right, they can trade that contract through April. And if the price goes up, someone's going to want that contract. So if the price trends are upwards, someone's going to want your contract. So you can arbitrage that. Yeah, in May, you're going to, unless you have private refineries, you're going to be paying more for oil uh, or for your diesel fuel or for your jet fuel. Right. But you've also made some money off of the contract for the price of oil going up. So you pay more, but you caught some of it back by selling that contract. So do the you, contracts change hands. Do you remember the movie Trading, Space, uh, Trading Places? No. You don't? I want to say, and somebody's going to reach out and be like, you're way off base, but I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure on this. In in Trading Places, it's... um um. Crap, who's in trading place? Uh, I'm going complete uh, brain fart, and I'm going to have to find this. Uh, I will find it in a second. What they're trading is on futures, and what you're, and what you're talking about oh, yeah. are like oil, oil futures and things like that. And they were trading in like orange futures, and I, and I know pork belly Dan futures. And Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, man. so they so trade great. places, and it was all about like pork belly futures and that sort of thing. And what you're talking about is exactly that. That's oil futures on having insider trading on knowing what's going to happen with those futures. So it's not actually the price point. It's anticipating what that price point is going to be based on supply and demand. Right. So that was basically what that entire movie was predicated on was, was pork belly futures and making a ton of money off pork belly futures and basically proving that anybody could be a, a stockbroker uh, or <laughs> could invest in money um, in, okay. in certain futures. So anyway, what you're saying with oil is incredibly interesting to me. Here's what it brought to my attention when you mentioned wanting to talk about this is, and this is a dumb question. This is one of those like Ben knows nothing. I don't know anything about the math that you were talking to me earlier. <laughs> I just assume it's right. Um, I feel smart when I castle uh, and I like eating rice with yellow sauce. So is, it's so good. Um, is when they were talking about the oil and how much oil we were producing and how much we could actually hold. Then I thought this dumb question. I thought, but how much oil is there? And I don't mean like how much oil do is is produced, which I didn't know that either. Um, right. But really, my question had become. Um, sorry, I'm changing my setting on my uh, computer real quick. Give me two seconds. Yep. I don't want the battery to run out. Uh, I got only ten percent. Um, okay, so we're good. So uh, what I was looking at is how much oil is there, and this is a dumb thing that like the small business owner mind in me goes, okay, well, how much oil do we have? Right. What's the rate that we're producing it? How much is their total? And then that last question is one that the internet's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I was like, <laughs> no, but how much oil is there? And they're like, well, we have this much at this time. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Listen, internet. How much oil is in the planet Earth? Right. And the internet's like, we don't know. And we, we don't really have any idea. And so the article I was reading, it was a Forbes article, and it was heavily in favor of we're totally okay, even though oil went negative, because we're producing ninety. Do you know how much? I I, I already started to say the money, the, the number, the number. Do, do you know how much oil is produced daily, on average this year? No clue. All I know is the size of 
uh, number of barrels in the contract because that's the thing I looked up. Right. How much oil is produced? Ninety-three point two million barrels of oil are produced every day. Wow. Do you know how many gallons of crude oil are in a barrel? Uh, forty-two or forty-two liters. Correct. So there's forty-two gallons in a barrel and ninety-three point two million barrels produced a day. And so this article is like, we're fine. We've got all the oil we need. And I'm like, well, we do. And I see your rate and I see how much, but how much is left? Like, again, right. small business owner, but how much is left in the earth? And they're like, we don't know. And it's like, that doesn't seem renewable because then my question goes, well, how much oil was made today? Right. How much oil was made today? And they're like, well, oil is made by, you know, fossils being compressed over millions of years. And I'm like, yeah, so it doesn't sound like we're making it as fast as it's being taken out of the ground. So I know you're getting it out of the ground at a good rate. And I know right. I'm, the, I'm the last horse to cross the line on like, hey, fossil fuels are not renewable. But just the rate at which we're taking them out at 93 million barrels a day. And they're like, we, right. don't, we don't know how, many is, how much is left in the earth. One day you're just going to go, fuck, we're out. But you know, but you're saying like being the last horse to cross the line. But I think if you if you ask anybody, is it a renewable resource? You know, everybody could say, well, no, it's not renewable. But you're you're asking those questions that a lot of people don't connect the dots on. And I think that um, knowing it's non-renewable, but understanding that are two totally different things. And the phenomenon there, there's a phenomenon called uh, peak oil. It's a it's the idea that. Um, at some point, a country, the world, whatever your aggregation group, at some point, you're going to produce the most oil you've ever produced. Right. And then you'll only produce less um, after that. Is that true? It's an idea, but the but it's backed up by things like... I am so sorry. No, no, no. Everything just crashed on me. I tried to close uh, Spotify because I have 6% battery left. And then literally every program was like, well, fuck you. And like everything crashed and, and closed. So I'm so are very you, sorry. Are you not hooked up to power? No, I had a hundred percent when I started. This is less than an hour. Are you still killed? All right. Um, so let's, let's, uh, let's crush I, this I, one I, I was, I was too bright, I, I guess on my display and yeah. I had a bunch of other stuff, right? Anyway, I blame me completely. Yeah. Well, let, let's, let's crush this oil topic then because <laughs> with, with peak oil, the idea is you're going to get less and we do keep finding more every year but it's harder to get to. So it's more expensive to drill. Like that's why we have, um, what was it? Um, oh, not deep horizon, the oil platform in the Gulf. That was, that, that, that was deep horizon. That was deep. Yeah. 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 That's what we have. Not to be horrible accents event, like that. Not to be convinced with the vent horizon. Yes. Um, or sphere. Or sphere. Eh. But, um, they drill like a mile down or something like that. And of course there's going to be a disaster. That but, is incredible to think about, by the way, when we think, but like, that's oh, where all the oil is like, going to have to be. That's what right. we're going to have to do. Like drilling a mile down into the ocean is going to be like child's play. That's going to be the cheap oil in the future. So the other notion of peak oil is there's going to be pressures besides, you know, it's not just, it's harder to get to and you can't produce as much because you can't just stick an oil derrick somewhere. You have to go through, through a lot of work. Oil is going to get so expensive to make that, you're not going to encourage more production. People are going to move to other things. So there's like this notion of peak oil is exactly what you're talking about, that the pressures are going to, the pressures are going to put a downward, it, there's going to be downward pressures on oil production before we're even out of it, just because there's more. It's so hard and expensive to get to. Right. That is there. That, that is a barrier of entry. What I was trying to think is I was trying to think of a good 
practical example of what we're doing with oil and how it doesn't make sense. And and again, not to be like super like hippie or whatever like that. Like we we have oil if we can use it and use other things. Fine, let's mitigate that. Let's move to those other things. There's no reason not to use a source that we have unless it's hurting the environment, which it kind of is. But anyway, beyond that, I was trying to think of it. And the amount that we're taking out, the 93.2 million barrels a day that we're taking out, and we're not making more because it's it takes too long for the earth to make it naturally, is that's kind of like a kid. Come on, earth. The, the way I was thinking of it is a kid with a trust fund that just goes, well, I've got all this money, and I've been taking this money out. And this last year, I took out more money than I've ever taken out. And I don't right. really know how much is in there, but I keep getting it out. So as long as I keep getting it out, I'm going to keep buying BMWs. And it's like, there's just going to be one day where you go and it's like, I, I, we went three miles down and there wasn't anything there. And it's like, what am I supposed to do now? And it's like, you're shit out of luck, dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, we, and it's really weird that we're just in this opposite position right now because we're producing so much for all the travel we do. Planes, cars, all these uses, plastics. and um, as a byproduct of that, there's also byproducts. We release a lot of carbon dioxide when we, uh, when we, when we just get the oil, when we extract it much less, you know, refining. Uh, but a lot, a lot of that is actually, we don't just dump it all into the atmosphere as is popularly conceived. A lot of that's used for like medical purposes. They can it. If you're by a tank of CO2, it right. comes from somewhere. Right. Um, so a lot of those gases that we get, um, not a lot of them, I don't know what the proportion is, but some of the byproducts that come out of refining, of, of just even getting it out of the ground, go to other uses. Now, if we're cutting production, those other uses, they can't get their raw materials. So it has knock-on effects everywhere. Right. But, you, but like you hit the nail on the head earlier, like all the storage is full and even they're now putting it in oil tankers and just floating it in the ocean, just sitting ships in the middle of the ocean, paying crews you know, to man the ships, um, just waiting for oil prices to come back so that they right. can bring the ship in and unload it and all the costs associated with that. It's, it's just, it's mind boggling. Imagine aliens that, looking down at what we're doing. They're like, well, they took all the byproducts of the dead animals. Right. right. And then they pulled it up, but there wasn't enough places to put it. So then they just let it sit on the ocean, like on the water. No, they just put it in big containers, but then they just sat on it. Cause there's nothing to do with it. And they were like, Right. So do we even want to invade this like Independence Day resurgence? They're like, do we even want to inver in invade them or should we just should we just kill them? Like and, and think about this at negative thirty seven dollars, because once across zero, it just plummeted. Um, a futures contract for crude oil is a thousand barrels of oil. So at thirty seven dollars a barrel, every contract they were paying out thirty seven thousand dollars. And we did that because it was cheaper than breaking the contract and cutting production because of all the costs involved in cutting production, layoffs, and not being able to spin them back up if demand spikes again. That was them mitigating loss. Yeah. It was like we're just gonna pay this it's kind of like um we talk about Disney paying salaries for a month before they started doing furloughs. Um there's a there's just like this cost of doing business. We don't know what's gonna there's uncertainty. It's cheaper for us to start shelling things out for the time being to keep the status quo until we figure out what the actual impact is going to be. Right. And just, it's, it's just, it's, it's wild, man. It's wild. Sitting, waiting, hoping, wishing. Um, and I wish my battery would last longer on my uh, laptop. So, but, um, it won't. So <laughs> it won't. So I've, I've got 3% left. But, uh, uh, <laughs> this has been enlightening. I'm going to go eat some rice. I'm going to play a game of chess and probably lose in about eight moves. 
Um, <laughs> the only winning move is not to play. That's <laughs> ooh war games. Um, yeah. So anyway, nice, good pull. Uh, anyway, so uh, you know, I think that's been it. So uh, this has been General Geekery specifically. It's been a podcast. I've been Ben. I've been Lou. And I'm gonna go charge my laptop. Yeah, and <laughs> you're not making money off of oil. I'm. I'm not. I really, I, I, I invested not just heavily. You. I mean, our listeners, like it's not happening. I invested heavily in pork belly futures. <laughs> All right, man, this has been fun. I'm down to 2%. So see ya. This has been a broken toys studio production. That's still good. <laughs>